Thank you. Thank you, Alma, for sharing. Um, just sharing what God has done and what God has taught you uh, during a difficult time. You know, the past year or two has been, I know, extremely difficult um, for many of, many of us. Um, and yet God is faithful. And so I thank you for sharing the testimony about God's faithfulness to you. Um, you know, this, this morning, oh, good morning, everyone. Um, it, it's good to be with you. Um, some of you know that uh, a couple of weeks ago, my family and I, we went on uh, a short vacation to southern Utah. And uh, if you've been reading the church devotionals, I put some pictures in there, and I'm going to bore you with some more pictures today. Um, but you know, we had a wonderful time, and vacations are great. All right, I hope you get a, a summer vacation or a time at least to break from your normal routine. You know, that's so important about, about vacation time. Uh, you get out of town, you experience something different from your normal day-to-day -day life. And uh, if you've never been there, Utah is a beautiful place. Um, it's not Hawaii. <laughs> it's not the Caribbean, right? It's a, it's a desert climate. Um, but it's known for its canyons and its vistas and inspiring scenery. And uh, I gave the guys upstairs a couple of pictures. I don't know if, uh, you know, this is uh, on the drive, uh, on the drive up there, um, like these majestic peaks and, uh, and rock, huge rock formations, right, in Utah. Um, and then the next one, right, this is, right, this is Bryce Canyon. And it's one of the national parks that we visited. It's just a portion of it, right? But a lot of this Red Rock Canyon. Um, and so we went, to, uh, we went to Bryce Canyon National Park for the first two or three days, and then to Zion National Park uh, for several days. And, you know, we did, I think, what everyone pretty much does when they, they go there, right? They hike. Um, in fact, I think that's pretty much all we did right, on, this, on this vacation. Um, in the evening, the kids would swim or, you know, we'd watch a, a movie or something. But in the day, during the day, you know, we'd hit the trails. And, uh, and I have a picture of, this is me and uh, my son Colson, you know, walking down into the canyon, hiking the trail. Avery says, hey, I'm not in the picture, you know, because she's taking the picture, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we, so we, we hiked pretty much every day. Um, and I wanted to just ask, who likes hiking? Who here, sitting in the comfortable sanctuary, air-conditioned, likes actually hiking? Yeah, okay. So, so some of you, right, what's, what's not to like? Right? Getting outdoors, um, being together, um, getting exercise, seeing the, you know, the scenery, and, um, and breathing the fresh air. Right? And hiking is a great family activity. That's why we went. But I have to admit, there's a certain point where hiking starts to become a drag. <laughs> um, my daughter asked me, when she doesn't really like to hike, but she wants to do what her older brother and I are doing. And so she, she asked me, she said, I don't really understand why people like to hike. Right? Once you step out and you're on the trail and you see everything, what else is there? <laughs> right? you know, and I'm like, 
I, I, I don't know, you know, a little different scenery, um, right? But there's a point where I think, you know, for, for some of us, like hiking stops becoming really enjoyable. Um, so it's like my enthusiasm for hiking is like this, right? It's, it's very high when I go on vacation like this, and it stays up for a little while, right? And then the curve starts to like, like this, right? Um, when we were there, we'd usually pick a long hike during the day so that my son and uh, Avery, my daughter, my middle daughter, and, uh, and, and myself, we could like go for a decent size hike. We, so we'd pick a long hike, and then we would pick a short hike as well so that Renee and, and Ellie, my youngest, right, we could all go together. Um, a long hike for us was anywhere between probably four and five miles. So not super long for you, you guys that are, you know, are serious hikers. Um, we get our backpacks together, stuff it with our snacks, our water, right? Um, you know, put our phones in there, which, which we use as our cameras. Uh, I would take a walking stick. Um, and, uh, you know, we go out all energized, right? Excited to go hiking and, and to see what's out there. Um, and the first mile would be full of talking and laughing, right? And taking pictures and taking selfies, right? Let's, oh, let's take a selfie over here. Oh, let's do that. Second mile, you know, pretty much the same. But by the third or fourth mile, an hour or two hours into the hike, right, our, our, enthusiasm, our enthusiasm started to wane. There wasn't as much talking and laughing. You know, we, we had to stop and get rocks and dirt out of our shoes and, you know, like, had to do this uh, several times. Um, no one was in the mood for selfies anymore. Right? And even the chipmunks stopped being cute. Right? They started to be annoying. Right? <laughs> One time we got lost, and after hiking an extra hour or two, um, I was spent. I was exhausted. You know, my kids, they have more energy. I think they can, you know, they can muscle through. I was tired. And, uh, and this is, I think, the last, the last picture I'll show. But um, we had to walk the last half mile up this steep incline. And so, basically, you know, you hike the four, five, six miles, and then at the very end, to get back up to the ridge, right, you hike up this incline, and I don't know if you can really tell, but all the way up there, like, there must be a million switchbacks. It's trying to, you know, get you to climb back up to the ridge the last 500 feet, right, and just straight up. Um, and it just, it removed whatever joy I had left about hiking. <laughs> Um, and this is not uncommon in life. Right? Over time, we start strong, and then we lose that, that verve or that enthusiasm for whatever it is we're doing. We dive in, right? and we go for a little while, and then we flame out. It happens. It happens in jobs. It happens in hobbies. You know, happens in different interests or interests in a particular television show, maybe. Um, it happens in relationships, and it even happens in the Christian faith. Right? Call it hitting the wall, uh, not having enough uh, resolve. You know, and we'll see this in, in our passage today. Today we're continuing in our series on grounded and growing. 
And we're looking at Jesus' parable of the soils in Matthew 13. So this week and next, we'll be looking at two different soils, the rocky soil and the thorny soil. And that may strike a chord with you. Both have similar characteristics in that the seed of God's word, the seed of God's word, it sprouts and the plant seems to grow for a little while. But neither one ultimately produces fruit. Neither one serves its purpose in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, um, open with me to Matthew chapter 13. Or if you have your phones, um, and it'll be on the screen as well. Matthew 13, 1 through 6. God's word reads, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat by the lake. I'm sorry, that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would just open your word up to us this morning. Um, Lord, you would guide my words and my thoughts. And, uh, Lord, that what you want for us to receive from this message this morning out of Matthew 13, Lord, would be the only thing that remains when we're done. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts wherever we're at. And we pray that uh, you would make our hearts open, Lord, uh, to your voice. Thank you for this day, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see that um, in Matthew 13, that large crowds gathered around Jesus. See, in this part, at this point in his, mis- in, in his ministry, um, people want to know what he's, he's about. They want to hear what he has to say. Now, there's a time later right, in his ministry where he is speaking God's truth and he is um, um, you know, speaking of the coming kingdom of God and even the judgment of God where people start to walk away from him. But here in this part of his ministry, right, they're curious. They want to know what he has to say. So much so that when he steps out of the house, it says that there are people and crowds gathering around him. And so he gets into a boat and he begins to, to teach the people who stand on the shore. Right? And this is a familiar parable. Maybe many of you have studied it before. Right? And Jesus, he tells them the story about a farmer who goes out to sow his seed. Now, I don't know what you... Uh, do for a living or, or what kind of job you may have. But I think most of us are pretty far removed from the agricultural society of Jesus' time. Right, to, get, to get our food and our groceries, right, we just hit the supermarket. Or we just go online and we, we have the, the groceries delivered to us. You know, I imagine that someday in the future, Kids won't even know what a farmer is. 
or what a farmer does. So in hearing this story here in the 21st century, right, you and I might not have a full appreciation for how important the farmer's work was. But in first century Palestine, right, you can bet that everyone, every one of Jesus' listeners knew the importance of planting, of growing, and harvesting. In fact, almost everybody's livelihood depended on it. They were all in line in this supply chain or this food chain, right, of, of receiving it, of selling it, of growing it. Right, the, the, the success of the local farms was crucial to the welfare of the village. Now, the process wasn't glamorous. Right? The, farmers, uh, the farmers were mostly peasants, right? but it was, it was crucial to the whole economy. And Jesus' listeners would have no problem picturing the familiar scene of the farmer. And so the farmer would have his seed. Right? He would have his seed in a bag, usually like draped over his shoulder or wrapped around his neck, he'd have the seed where he can easily access it. Or he'd have the seed right, in his outer garment, in a, like in a pouch in his outer gar- garment. And he would take the seed, right, probably wheat or barley, and he would dip his hand in and he would walk up and down the field, right, scattering the seed, trying to scatter the seed evenly across the field. Interestingly, though, in this parable that we just read, the focus is less on the farmer himself and more about what happens to the seed. We know that, first of all, some of the seed fell on the hard path. We looked at that last week. Pastor Corey spoke on that. And the seed lay on the surface until the birds came and ate it up. In the interpretation that Jesus gives later in, in Matthew 13, he explains that the seed is the word of God. The seed is, in, in certain, some interpretations or some uh, versions of the scripture, it says the message of the kingdom. And that's what, and Jesus is the, the, the farmer, the sower, right? He is spreading the message of the kingdom. And the soil, the soil represents the different condition and the receptivity of the people's hearts. Now, what kind of heart if you think about last week, what kind of heart does the path represent? Right? The path represents a hard heart. The hard heart, which the Word of God is unable to penetrate. Right? And Jesus is saying, there are people like that, hard-hearted, won't listen, don't want to come, don't feel like they have anything new to learn from God or from the Scripture. The Word of God is unable to penetrate it. The heart is firm. It's compact. It's never been plowed, never been fertilized, never been turned over. And the seed sits there until it's snatched away by the enemy. Today in our passage, we see that some seed fell on rocky places. And this this is our focus today, on rocky soil. The seed sprouted because of the thin layer of soil on the rocks. Right? And it grew quickly. And I would guess it grew quickly because the season was right. The weather was cooler. Maybe there's there some rain. Right? But it says the soil was shallow because of the rocky ground underneath. So the roots never went very deep. 
And when the weather got hot, it says the sun came out and scorched the plant. The plant withered and died. See, this is like, this is like my lawn at home. Right? We must have rocky soil underneath. Right? When conditions are perfect, it look, everything looks fine on the surface. Right? The, the grass looks perfect on the surface, right at that level on the surface. But once the weather turns hot, like it is now, or we forget to water it you know, a day or two, right? the whole thing, it just dies. I mean, it, and it dies quickly. Right? It doesn't just like eke out. It just like, gets brown and, and dry and, and dies. In verse 20 and 21 of Matthew 13, Jesus provides the interpretation. And he says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, Jesus gives it straight out. Right? He's, he's teaching the people. He's telling them in parables. But those who come and ask what he really is, what he means by this parable and this story, right, he gives it to them direct. Jesus says, there are people whose hearts are like this. Upon hearing the word of God, they receive it. They embrace it. They're enthusiastic about it. Right? But over time, since they have no root, they quickly fall away. And I think the, the key words, the operative words here in the passage are back in verse 5, which says, the soil was shallow. All right, say that with me. The soil was shallow. And that's the condition of the rocky person's heart. See, Jesus wanted people to understand that there's a wrong way to receive God's word. And you think, what? A, a wrong way? Right, look again at verse 20. It says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Okay, do you see anything wrong with that? Sort of a trick question, but no. Right, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, receiving God's word with joy, that's a good thing. That's the right thing. Okay, but, right, there's always a but, isn't there? Verse 21 goes on to say, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. My friends, this is the problem. This is what Jesus is pointing out. This is his warning. Jesus is saying people who have a faith that doesn't deepen over time, a faith that remains shallow, will not last when trouble or persecution comes. Right? That's exactly what the scripture is saying. How many people do you know over the years who have come to church and been on fire for God? Right? And maybe that's us sometimes. Right? Or people that have come on Christmas or Easter and they worship and they pray and they hear the preaching of God's word and they tell you, this is exactly what I need. This was good for me. I need Jesus in my life. And I, I don't doubt their sincerity. I don't doubt that that's what they feel and understand in the moment. But a week, 
a month later, six months later, where are they? Have they fallen away because the holiday is over, because the emotions are gone, or possibly the circumstances have changed, and it's not as easy to follow the Lord anymore? You know, as Jesus talks about the seed and what happens to it here in Matthew 13, right, and what happens to the seed depending on the type of soil it lands in, everyone there understands the example, at least from a farming standpoint. But only when Jesus interprets and explains the parable do people realize that he might be talking about them. He may be speaking to them and their situation. See, self-examination in this parable is crucial. Jesus is saying that some people appear to be thriving believers until trouble or persecution comes. In other words, when the conditions are right, right, we all seem strong. It's all good. It's like when I'm hiking and the conditions are right. It's not too hot. My water's cold. I'm not too tired. Right? There aren't rocks in my shoes. It's all, right? it's all good. I feel strong. God's word is true in our lives. But when the scorching sun comes out, when trouble and difficulty arises, right? and I, I know I'm mixing all the metaphors here, right? will we remain strong in the Lord? And it all depends on our roots, doesn't it? In 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul talks about withstanding affliction, which we know is coming. See, problems will arise. He says, or he writes to the, to the church in Thessalonica, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Problems, trials, persecution, for us as believers, it will come. Okay. Growing up, I used to, I used to go to um, Mount Hermon, um, Gems Mount Hermon camp. I know some of you have been and, and know what that is. It's a Christian conference, a week-long Christian conference every summer. And so I would go. It was like the best, the best week of every year for me, at least in junior high, high school, up to college, right? I would go and have a great time making friends and growing in the Lord. But I can't tell you how many friends I made over the years going to camp who once we got home from camp, right, and after that mountain high experience was gone, right, and the troubles of life hit, and some of my friends, they really had troubles. They had, you know, their family was was breaking up, their parents were breaking up, um, you know, drugs, gangs. Um, but when those problems hit, they got more and more spotty about coming to church, right? And not long after, they weren't walking with the Lord at all. You know, they never, they never deepened their roots, right? They, they lived with the Lord on this shallow foundation, There's a Greek word, okidome, and okidome has two meanings. One is 
a building or a tower, an edifice, an actual structure. Okay, the other is to build up. It's the verb. It's to build up and to strengthen and to edify. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up, the okidomi of one another. And see, we need to be built up, each of us, together. We need to be built up from the ground up. I understand you can go into any modern city in the world where buildings are under construction, right? Like in downtown L.A., other downtowns, other cities. And you can generally tell how tall the building is supposed to be based on how deep the hole in the ground is. Right? See, my hole must not be very deep. Right? Right? But you can, you can tell just by the, by the foundation. That's because the foundation right, is ultimately what determines the strength and the reach of the building and what it can withstand. Right? And it's the same. It's the same for us. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. You know, as I thought about how um, how we deepen our roots. Right? What's the application, some of the application here? How do we develop this staying power, this perseverance, this persistence in our faith? I thought it would be good for us to think about some of the things we already have a passion for, some of the things you already have a passion for. Right? Just go with me for a second. Think about it. Do you have a hobby Is there something that you have a a strong passion or interest in? Just think about it in your minds. Picture that. Growing up, one of of my favorite hobbies was collecting baseball cards. I would collect baseball cards. Um, I would spend hours in my room just looking at my cards, sorting them, looking at the statistics on the back, when I would watch a ball game, I would bring my cards out, right, watch the game, have my cards laid out. I would talk to my friends who collected cards. Right, I would trade with them. Um, some of my friends and my brother, we used to play blackjack for cards. Right? We, would, we would play and like put, everybody puts out an equal player or something like that, and we would play and then the winner right, gets the cards. So I would just do these things, right, that involved this hobby, this interest of mine. I would go to card shows. And even now, I still like to look at my baseball cards. Yes, I still have my baseball cards. And I still like to take them out, and I still like to thumb through them and look at them. Um, And I'll watch YouTube videos about the hobby. The hobby's gotten very big, right, since, since I used to collect. Now, in no way am I comparing baseball cards to my faith in Christ, okay? But this childhood hobby has had staying power in my life for some reason. Right? How is that? And what is it for you? So I'm just trying to take you away, again, a little bit from, away from the spiritual, but just 
Practically speaking, what is that for you? Alma shared about golf. I know she loves golf. I know many of you do. You love playing golf, right? How about that Colin Morikawa, right? Um, I know some of you love cooking, and it's a passion, and it's an art. Some of you like fixing up cars. Some of you like guns and shooting. Some of you probably like watching NHK with a passion. <laughs> right? How do you deepen that passion and that interest? Right? I think it's pretty natural, but you know, this is how. Right? You spend time doing it. You immerse yourself in it. You get on the golf course, or you spend time in the kitchen. Right? Perhaps you read up on it in a magazine or a publication. And if you don't like reading, you know, Alma talked about Google. I, I think, you know, like, you watch YouTube videos. Right? YouTube is amazing. <laughs> um, my kids make fun of me because sometimes when I have to make lunch for them, I look up videos, right, on YouTube on how to make grilled cheese sandwiches. Right? Now, that's pretty ridiculous, right? You know, it's obvious how do you make a grilled cheese sandwich. Right? But I tell you, there must be hundreds, if not thousands or millions, you know, of YouTube videos on how to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Right? So I'm not the only one right, looking for information. Right? But they, none of them can tell me how not to burn it. Right? How else do we deepen our interests? You build relationships around it. Right? People with a common interest. You talk to people who share that passion. Right? How many meetup groups or online communities are there for different personal interests and hobbies? Maybe you go to a conference or a convention. Talking, knowledge sharing with others that have a similar interest, that strokes Right? That passion. And then the third thing I thought of is you, you set goals. Right? You actually take time to think about how to become a better golfer or how to improve on your recipes. And at least in your mind, you develop a plan. Maybe it's taking a class, right? taking a lesson, buying new equipment, you know you're interested or you're passionate about something when you invest your time and your money into it. So how do we deepen the roots of our faith? I would say it's very similar. Right, first, be where God is. Make yourself available to go and to be right, where the Lord is at work. Right, your presence and your participation in what God is doing here in the church and what he's doing in ministry around the world will give you a vision for greater things. Right? This is one of my prayers for the Naomi House team. It's mostly youth. Right? They're anywhere from 14 you know, to 19, and then there's the adult leaders. Right? But my prayer is that they will see God in a different way because they see him at work in a different context, and they're immersed in it on their week-long summer mission trip. Right? God is at work building his kingdom, but we only get a sense of it if we immerse ourselves in it, if we give ourselves to it, if we're present. 
Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think sometimes we don't think very highly of God's kingdom and God's glory because we don't think very much of it at all. We don't think about it. Right? Our hearts and our minds are set too low sometimes. They're set on earthly things. And Scripture says here, set your mind and your heart on things above. Another way we deepen our roots, we seek relationship within the family of God. Right? We don't isolate ourselves. If you and I are in Christ, we are family. We are joined together by the common bond to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is Christ who lives in us. Right? But if we don't spend time in fellowship, then we end up yoking ourselves to other things. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be joined together with those who do not belong to Christ. How can that which is good get along with that which is bad? What does light have in common with darkness? Okay, now Paul here, he's speaking to a very specific thing and a specific issue. Okay? He's not saying that we can't be friends with non-Christians, right? or we can't be together with others. But as we grow in our faith, as we deepen our roots, we should find that we're more drawn to the things of God, to the people of God, than we used to be. Because we're fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. We're not citizens of earth or this world and its system. Third, make plans, finally, make plans for how to grow in the faith. Okay, these may not be hardcore plans. They may be, and that, that would be great, you know. But have you ever actually even given thought to like, how do I grow in my faith? How do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I become a better Christian? I, I don't think it's something we often think about. Right? Taking time to think about it, how you want to mature in the faith. In 1 Peter 2, it says, the author says that we should be like newborn babies who crave spiritual milk that we might grow up in the Lord. In the same way, we make plans to prove, improve in other things in our lives, right? Our hobbies, our careers, our homes, our finances. We should be intentional about growing in our faith. See, the, hot, the, the rocky heart, the rocky heart remains shallow because it leaves spiritual things, spiritual growth and maturity, it leaves it to chance. It just lets it go. Beloved, the goal for us is to be rooted in Christ and to have a lasting faith. Not one that falls away or flames out when things get difficult or like me on the hiking trail, right? Who weakens and then wants to quit. 
And the good news is that it's not all up to us. It's not. It's Christ in you. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 says, I planted the seed, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. See, God is ultimately the one who makes the word of God grow in our lives. He's the only one who deepens our roots in the faith. We can't do it ourselves. Right? We don't do it ourselves. We trust God to do it. But our hearts, my friends, must be willing. They must be soft. They must be fertile and plowed so that our, our roots may grow deeper. All right, let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we um, come before you, Lord, and we ask that you would do the work that you promise in our hearts, that you would make us open and willing, Lord, to take that next step of faith and to deepen our roots and to understand more and more what our relationship with you is about and how we can grow to become more faithful disciples, more faithful followers, more fulfilled Christians, Lord, as we follow you into your kingdom. And so I pray you would open our hearts, you would deepen our roots, and you would, um, you would give uh, uh, all the attention, Lord, and praise and glory to you and to, um, to your kingdom. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.